And welcome, friends, to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, your host today. And very important program lined up for you this morning. Every child, every person on earth is dealing with some particular sin in their life. Some kind of pride, lust, desiring things God doesn't want for them. And today I want to get into a specific area that's so important, really ultimately important for every single family, for every single child in every single family and church across this country, around the world. And the question that I want to pose today is how do parents and pastors shepherd that young boy or that young girl or that young man or young woman dealing with same-sex attraction or just sexual temptation in general? So we're going to deal with this vitally important issue. And by the way, there may be a small percentage of young people that don't have to deal with much of this, but this is applying to the 99.9% of our listening audience today. So what are the environmental conditions that contribute? What are the challenges? How do we open up paths of communication? How do we shepherd? That's the question. So important. And, uh, I couldn't think of anybody more important uh, than Gary Ingram, who is from loveandtruthnetwork.com. Just completed a book, brand new, hot off the press, Am I Gay? Coming out of a cultural Christianity and LGBTQ plus identity into authentic faith in Jesus. Okay, that's the book. Just came out December 16th, um, what, four weeks ago. And uh, Gary now joins us on Generation from the loveandtruthnetwork.com. Gary, welcome, welcome. Good to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. I'm I really am pleased to be with you. Yeah, I mean, so important. I, I just finished skimming your book. I couldn't, you know, read every word, but I did the best I could last night. I just got a copy of it before the interview, and I thought, you know, it's pretty explicit. Let me just say that, and that may be helpful for some, less helpful for others. But you know, there are elements of your testimony, and, and again, this is sort of the raw testimony of Gary Ingram. You know, uh, how it started and and where it went and how Jesus saved Gary. Wow, what a story. I, I You know, I, we don't have, you know, three hours to go over the whole story. That's why the book. Right. But Gary, can you give us some of the highlights, especially the younger years, how it's forming, what's happening to Gary? Uh, what's the background of your family life? How does that play into your life? I, I don't know. Give us some of the high points if you can. Sure. Uh, yeah, just. Quickly, I think some of the key things involved the reality that, first of all, I wasn't really planned for and I and even wanted when my mom found out that she was pregnant with me. She was 42. My dad was 44. Right. They thought they were done having kids. And so my that the reality is that um, my dad really did not, good man, godly man um, in so many ways, but they just, they couldn't really afford another mouth to feed and all that. They didn't emotionally really want that. And, and he really didn't come around to really embrace me as um as wanting me i think for hmm. you know some time and it was not until many years later that we actually developed a, a really close friendship after hmm. i became an adult yeah. uh but the the reality of of that issue and the lack of connection to my dad and the lack of um but but he didn't even know because of his own brokenness and i get my first chapter talks about my mom and dad's history yeah didn't know how to really shepherd me at all right uh, because he'd never had that neither of my mom so you bring all that into into play, and then in addition to that, at about five or six years of age, I'm introduced to hardcore porn, 
um, and some older neighbor, uh, neighborhood boys' sexual behavior as well. And it was just, you know, that coupled with that lack of connection with my father, the feeling of some, somehow being in the way and not really um, and being a bother and, and, and just having these longings and, and needs and as a kid not knowing how to even give language to that, but just feeling empty, lost, trying to figure things out. There were a lot of things that came into play that yeah. where, where that sexual behavior wound up kind of filling in some gaps and becoming a counterfeit for God's uh, legitimate needs that he created me to have. And so this now context, you're growing up in a Christian environment, right? You, you're, you're involved yes. in yes. some of the, 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 you know, evangelical Christian ministries of the day. This is back in the seventies, yeah. right? I'm yeah. guessing this is sixties, seventies, about the same time frame that I'm growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I, I think, are about the same age. Yeah, I'm fifty-eight, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, very much uh, that time period. And what I would say about it, I'm so grateful, and I have been for many years for the truth that was poured into me as a child. But the issue, I think, for so many that I talk with and and have known over the years in my own experience too, is that we had lots of truth poured in, but there was very little relational connection like you use the word in opening up shepherding yeah that's such a vital word uh and 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 that i had a lot of truth but there was no shepherding of my heart there was mm-hmm. the, uh, really because of a lack of knowing that that even needed to be done and so the relational side was uh lacking the the love and compassion was really lacking it was very much a rules-based behavior management process as a child and, and it doesn't my parents didn't mean to do that uh, it was just the development along the way. It became more important about the image and the appearance than knowing the heart of of your child. And I think that's essential yeah, um, yeah. Uh, today. It always has been. I think that's an essential component. And so that really constitutes sort of a hypocritical form of Christianity. I mean, I hate to say that, but but you right. know, you can wind up with a external appearance of godliness, but lacking the power thereof, you know, or the core, I don't know, you know, truth, faith, love in the heart. So there's a sort of, uh, I would say incongruity between what's going on the outside, what's happening on the inside. Is that, is that accurate? Absolutely. And so I learned at a very early age to live a split off life. I learned to live a double life and Mm -hmm. which is hypocrisy, of course. But as a kid, like, I didn't even, I didn't understand that. I just, I I naturally had to conform to the expectations of my parents and the church and things like that. And so I, I put on that persona and tried to live into that in some way and was really confused. And, and eventually I grew to a point where I realized looking back that I'd come to a place where I really felt like God is a slave master that demands we love him. Mm -hmm. And, and of course that's horrendous and no one ever said anything like that, but, but Unfortunately, that's not, you know, that feeling that I had, I hear that a lot from, from people, adults now who grew up in a similar background without that kind of shepherding of their heart or real compassion, especially connected to their fathers. So often in that time period, dad handed off so much of the emotional parenting component to to moms. Right. And yeah, so there needs to be both. Right. Well, let's carry on with your testimony real quick. We don't have a huge amount of time. I'm so sorry, but yep. um, and folks are going to have to get the book if they want the whole testimony for Gary. But uh, but a little bit about you know adult life, not good, but Jesus comes through for you. So give, give us a little right. bit of that. Yeah. So um, finally came to genuine faith in Christ at about uh, age 23, and um, 
it was after having left, I, I'd gone from public school to Christian school to homeschooling, eventually into Bible college for a period of time, mm-hmm. and um, eventually got kicked out of Bible college because there was concern I was suicidal. And, you know, and, and I just left at 19 years of age and felt like I am done with the church. I can't stand any of this. I, I was so bitter. And eventually, through, you know, accidental means, I say that in scare quotes, I wound up finding my first gay bar and felt like I'd finally found my people. And, and I fully embraced, I'm like, oh, finally I fit in somewhere. Finally my life makes sense. But it didn't take long to experience what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians six eighteen, where he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the one who sins sexually actually sins against their own body. There was a kind of damage I was doing to my soul that, that at a very early age, in the prime of my life, I'm feeling this rot and decay but not even making the connections as to what that is. So it just, mm. God in his faithfulness, I, I'm astounded at my bitterness and hatred and anger toward him for a season, a long season of my life, but how unbelievably gracious, you know, yes. while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And I certainly yes. was functioning that way. And he woo me and drew me to a place of, of coming, you know, returning and repenting. Um, and coming into genuine faith at about the age of 23. Now, my big takeaway, as I read your experience, is God did it. Yeah, I, mean, I just, you know, I just sensed the power of God working. I think you were listening to um, some kind of Christian music or whatever it was in the car. Yeah. And wow, right. I mean, God just came over you like a powerful wave. Yep. And he did it. I, you yep. know, it's the power of God that just miraculously yep. transformed and I mean, this thing comes from the outside to the inside and God does it. I mean, that, that was the message I was getting. Yep. It's not like you did something to get saved. <laughs> you know, God saved you. I mean, no, that's the I, testimony I, of any I've Christian, been right? I've trying to do that as a kid. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. I, I've been trying to do that as a kid and it was really God that broke through, uh, you know, on his side of an interstate, you know, in, in New Jersey of all places. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. Okay. Well, I'm going to cut right to how do we... Uh, You've got two boys now, and and you're you're yeah. in the process of shepherding these these young boys. I mean, it's beautiful to to see the picture on the website, what God is doing in your life. Mm-hmm. You get married, you have kids. Give us a little bit of that, just for a second. Yeah, so Melissa and I've been married almost well about sixteen and a half years, okay. and uh, our boys are twelve and fourteen. Okay, and and it's just yeah, just having uh, you know, obviously I'm later in life. I, my first son was born when my at the time that my dad's age when I was born. And oh, the difference wow. was I wanted them. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 and, right, sure. And, and had a real longing and heart to be become a father. And so, and then that was a whole new thing too. The idea of ever being married to a woman, the idea of ever being a, a, a father, those were two things I thought I never wanted. Hmm. And yet they're two of the greatest joys of my life. Amen. Um, Amen. I, I mean, they outshine everything else besides my relationship mm-hmm. with God. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what, what are you learning? How, how are you coming? This is, you know, the 2.0. This is... This is the sure. uh, second time around. Your, your, your father was not yep. relational and so much, and you're right, so much of whatever happened in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, somewhat of a derelationalized form of fatherhood. Dads were out making the money for the household, and there was such an institutionalized yep. approach to education. It's one reason why I like homeschooling, but just simply homeschooling doesn't restore yep. relationship or bring love into the picture. But I do think it's time for us to see something of a revival of relationship and true shepherding in the home. Yeah. How has that worked in your life? 
Well, that's a huge um, area that we speak and talk about a lot. And, and uh, we homeschool our boys as well. And, and it's been really important. I've, I've just known early on from, and, and getting older and becoming more mature before, uh, you know, I had my boys and being discipled for a period of time, I, I would have been a wreck had this, you know, had I been a father probably as a, as a young, young guy, but knowing the, the need that they have to have their heart shepherded by their fathers, uh-huh. that fathers play a role that, that moms do not, that we need both moms and dads involved in the raising of, of children and, and kids, boys and girls need their dad's affection and attention and time. And so knowing from very early ages, my boys and I used to do when they were little snuggle time and uh, every morning and it, like 15 minutes each. And it just, it, it, it was like, I often think of it as like laying down onion paper over the course of day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, that winds up, you know, becoming these reams, uh, stacks of weighty time together that mm-hmm. built in them this sense that dad is safe to come to and talk to about anything. Now I blow it in lots of ways uh, and have to go back and ask for forgiveness and all that. But when it comes to shepherding their heart and really inviting them to share the hard things, both of my boys would say, you've never blown up at us. You've never, like, you've always been safe to come to you with the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's always better to come to you than for you to find out about something. And, you know, so they've learned over time to come in. And so this, I often say too, this, you know, the talk, the, the quote unquote talk, I never want to have the talk with right. my child. I, right. I really encourage parents. We want to have an ongoing conversation. That's exactly so right. It's been exactly. very natural yeah. to yep. move right into that sure. from the time they were little and also building into them the sense that of I. The identity that God has put in them as boys or girls for girls uh, is such a good and intentional thing. And so you can start feeding positive aspects of the image of God put into them at very early ages without even bringing sex into it at all. And then when the time is right to begin introducing that, uh, those concepts and ideas. And so, yeah, my boys are, you know, one's a teenager, one's right on the edge of that. And we talk about a lot of deep difficult things. Yeah. Um, and they will now initiate and come to me on those issues. So the point is establish a relationship, the positive communication early on such that, you know, if, if yes. they come across, you know, somebody sharing the wrong image on a cell phone out in the church parking lot, I mean, it can happen anywhere. That's the, I guess, scary thing for parents yep. that immediately we can have those conversations. In fact, maybe we had a conversation up front that prepared them for it. And and so, you know, they'll willingly come to rather than to hide it, be ashamed of it and not willing to speak to it. Is is that what you're talking about? Absolutely. And uh, anything, um, we we're big fans of Katie Faust's work with uh, them before us. And in, her, in that book, uh, in a subsequent book, she writes about how important it is for parents to get to their children first. And, right. and so uh, that, yes, that very conversation, I gave my boys a heads up that there will be times you're around other, even in homeschool groups, yeah. you're around other kids and they're going to be looking at stuff that you need to not look at and you can never unsee what you have seen. And I've told them, they know my story. Uh, and I gave that to them at age appropriate levels, at, you know, but they know the pornography addiction they, and they know how it devastated my life. And so they have an awareness of they're, they're going to be curious and your curiosity is not a bad thing. Um, but just what are you going to do with that curiosity? How are you, how are you going to manage that? And, and, and we need to be talking about the struggles, but you, rather than you giving in and looking at that stuff, avoid it and, and let's come and talk about it and pray about it. And, and they've, they've done that, you know? So, um, it's that, that connection 
and getting to them first and giving them a heads up of what to be careful of and watch for and to do it on a relational basis, not just kind of a top down, heavy handed approach is that that is what I find to be most helpful. So key. Um, Gary, let's get back into same sex attraction just for a second. Okay. So you've got a young child, you call him a little bit more of a sensitive boy and which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it, sure. it, it, there's lots of environmental factors. I mean, there's so much nature and nurture that work together. It's a both and. I mean, it always is a both and, sure. right? Um, yep. Sin obviously plays out that way as well, whether it's alcoholism or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be in a person's life. How, how do you, I mean, there are children more given to this even within the Christian home, right? Sure. I mean, there will be children more given to this sort of yeah. thing. I mean, whether it's, you know, some degree of nature, some degree of nurture, whether they came upon the wrong pornography at seven years of age or whatever it is, all of that right. will constitute or somehow put together something of a same-sex attraction. And can you describe it a little bit for families who have to, you know, somehow come into contact with it? Yeah, and I, I wanted to say right off the bat that for my and living this and kind of swimming these waters for a lot of years, I, I don't believe I agree with you 100% about the, it being a, a complex, you know, nature nurture nurture issue. I think a lot of it, a lot of it is nurture and, yeah. and the yeah. environmental factors. Yeah. But but the, the key thing is is that none of it is determinative. It, uh, Good point. Want, uh, you know, there, there's there's not a situation that has occurred. Uh, or or anything you know biological that that prevents us in obeying him and coming into a place of obedience with joy. So, but you you named it when you said you know a boy who tends to be more sensitive. I was very different than my three older brothers who were more rough and tumble. And uh, and so yeah, you're a boy who tends to be more artistic, um, more more bent toward beauty or or softer things. Oftentimes, dads like my dad didn't have a clue what to do with me in that. I think I was probably, you know, an embarrassment to him as a, maybe as a kid where I was kind of drawn more toward that. And, and so he just kind of, that just caused him to recoil as opposed to coming in closer yeah. and, and guiding me, right. And drawing me into some more masculine things. So it's, and again, it's not the idea that dad should just heavy handedly say, well, I'm going to, you know, make you man up. That is never effective. It actually causes the son to push further away and, and go deeper into isolation, but rather inviting a, a child, drawing a child into things that are more healthy for them, giving guidance on, hey, you know, a, a, being, I think of it oftentimes is I think that dads need to be conscious of being like the bumpers in the bowling alley when kids are little so that they're not just throwing their ball in the gutter the second that it leaves their hand, but the, there's bumpers, you know, on either side yeah. of the of the alley and and we're guiding them down toward the end as opposed to really being totally restrictive or not present at all. And so, yeah, I think that that dads need to pass on. I love what Eldridge, John Eldridge writes about, you know, that there's a, there's a kind of essence like food that a father passes from himself to his son when there's, when that connection is there and when there's that, that love and that time spent together. Let's just take a few minutes on the church uh, you talk about the church as being healing hospitals. On the one hand, you know right. we don't ignore the truth, and you got the liberal church. On the other hand, you talk about the legalistic church. Um, get us into the center of the road on this. Let's stay out of the ditches. What does that look like? Sure. Well, I think that it really reflects Jesus' call to the narrow way, and there are so many churches that that do that embrace orthodoxy that are 
solidly rooted in what's true mm-hmm. and yet don't know how do I, how do I actively live out, especially in our saturated identity confused culture? How do we live this out in a way that is meaningful and relevant? And yet we can do that in spades. We can do that really well as the church. Actually, the church has the only answers um, on these topics. And yet we're the one organization or institution that's barely saying anything about it. So we have to be, we have to lean in, I think, into what does it mean to discipleship? When I was a kid, I sat around a table with a pastor and a couple of their kids and I learned facts. And that, that's good. That's an aspect of it, obviously. Very important. But that's all I got. I did, there was, so, so there's, there's the didactic piece, but there's also this mining for what, where the child is at, mining for, for how is the pastor wanting to shepherd the, 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 the hearts and the souls of folks, not just the outer appearance. So I'm always talking about the need. I believe a healthy church has bands of brothers and bands of sisters, meaning, yes, there's men's groups, women's groups, perhaps, and small groups, and all of those are good. But all the ones I've, I've gone into over and over again are still about, you know, a quarter of an inch deep in terms of what they're really pressing into and do all the things that you're doing. But we have to find a way of opening up the door for people who are really wrestling and struggling, and they are in the multitudes struggling with sexual addiction, pornography addiction, any number of other things. Right. But we're not talking about that. And if James 5.16 is true, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed, then I think that we absolutely uh, need to, to learn how to practice a, a confessional life in, in, in a way. And I think doing that in this band of brothers, band of sisters, this idea that we're a part of, we're doing life together and, and we're, we are um, being willing to be vulnerable and, and genuinely real and praying for each other and pressing into these deeper places. Otherwise, we, by default, live, live double lives. We, by default, put on a, uh, you know, we're doing the image management thing while on the inside yeah. or when we're, pri- you know, by ourselves, we're, we're turning to one form whether it's food or it's substance abuse or it's right, pornography right, right, or right. some other sexual mm-hmm. sin, we're turning to those things. Now, Gary, here's what's happening in my life as a pastor. Um, I would say over the last four to five years, something very unique has happened in my ministry, and God has brought to me some very, very hurting people. Not necessarily this mm. particular sin, but some of these other addictions that you spoke of. And yeah. what I've noted is I've walked with them now for, I think, four to five years, meaning every week I've been in their homes for hundreds of hours and we had all these yep. ups and downs, you know, they, they, they doing pretty well, then they fall back. They do pretty well, they fall back. But what's, yep. what I'm finding, where I'm finding the success, Gary, is the fact that I've hung in there for four to five years with them. Mm-hmm. They trust me. I still listen to them. I show up the morning after I'm back in their house and it's changing the yeah. way I shepherd. I'm finally realizing, you know, this transformation doesn't happen overnight with a, a fair mm. percentage of people that you're dealing with in the church. Yeah. And I think really raising children's the same way. I mean, you know, your children don't come to Jesus and then everything's hunky dory in 24 hours. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work that way. So I guess the right. thing that I've right. learned as a shepherd is man, this thing's a long-term deal. I mean, you got to be in it for the long haul, and they got to realize you're not giving up. I, my one of my classic statements is, "I'm always back here at the table with you." You know, if if, yeah. if you will come, I will be here. And so yeah. I think that's been helpful. I, I, now I'm just throwing in one more thing. I'm just saying longevity and a willing to hang in there, the hang in their nests of shepherding really matters. 
Well, it, it does. And I think, and this harkens back to something I was going to say earlier about parenting as well. I think that we, we need to really embrace the idea that the more we pour in early on, and, that, and, and I'm speaking specifically about time, but more than just time, uh, real quality as well. But the more we pour in early on, the benefits that we reap will be so much greater. Otherwise, if, otherwise it's going to be inverted. And if we, if we don't pour in early on, then we're going to have lifelong turmoil with, with our children. I'm not saying things, things will, will be difficult, of course, at times. But the more we pour in, and, and I think this is true in what you're saying, too, um, if we would really invest, and this comes back to the idea of, you know, what we talked about in terms of churches be, really becoming more of a teaching model uh, or teaching hospital model, is we want to be looking for the next doctors and nurses. So these people you're pouring into, like I was a wreck. I was a disaster. I, mm-hmm. I was such an emotional basket case wow. And, wow. and so many issues. Mm-hmm. I was difficult to walk with. And yet the work that God has done and continues to do, if I didn't have people who are willing to do what you're doing now and realize there's benefit in it and God's going to do something, I, would, I don't know where I would be. And, and so the idea that we want to invest those, the time now with people who may even feel like, man, are they ever going to get it? Um, that those very people may wind up being the next, you know, nurses and doctors yep. that are being prepared in your church or yep. another church down mm-hmm. the road to really pour out. And, and so I think that's, that's an essential mindset for good. us to have. It's good. Well, we're out of time. So much more to say. Gary Ingram's been my guest, uh, author of the new book, brand new, a hot off the press, Am I Gay? Coming Out of Cultural Christianity and LGBTQ plus Identity into Authentic Faith in Jesus. And uh, also loveandtruthnetwork.com. In fact, uh, that's where this information can be obtained right now. Go to loveandtruthnetwork.com. Great testimony, powerful ministry. Gary, thank you. God's doing a work. He's done a work in you, continues to do it through Jesus. Amazing, amazing. Thank you. No, thank you so much. It was so great to be with you. I appreciate it. Mm. And you have been listening to the Generations Radio Broadcast. If you'd like to interact with the radio program, email me directly at hostofkevinswanson.com. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.